Welcome back to Set Phasers to Stun. This week, Jeff joins us again, and together we're going to step well outside our respective areas of expertise and dive into the science of time travel and more. Hi, Jeff, and welcome back to Set Phasers to Stun. So tell us, what sci-fi science have you been thinking about this week? Hey, mate. Good to be back. Um, well, I've been reading a lot, as always, reading a lot of comics, watching a lot of TV as well, lots of films. But um, one comic and TV series really got me this week, and that was Bodies, which is a DC Vertigo comic and a Netflix series as well. And in Bodies, the comic has a slightly different plot device to the TV series. And TV series, they use time travel. I love a good time travel story, but sometimes time travel can rub people up the wrong way. And for me, I really enjoyed the TV show, but there were times where I felt like they were setting up one certain type of time travel and they diverged to another type. I like things that uh, obviously aren't real. Sci-fi is fiction, of course. But I felt like there were some rules set up that they then broke, which is also fine. But I don't think it was entirely for me in the end. I think internal consistency in a fictional world is really important. And obviously, people like you and I like it when the science is entirely accurate. But the fiction side of the equation requires it not always to be. And that's the point where it becomes really important to obey the rules of whatever made-up science you've set up. So how does the time travel broadly work in bodies? So I'll start off with how the story kind of briefly unfolds. Basically, there's four different detectives up one street at four different periods of time. And in each of those periods of time, they find a body. So that's um, the late 1800s, during the start of the war, uh, the Second World War, that is, modern day, which in the TV show is our modern day of this year, whereas in the comic it was written in 2014, so it's 2014, and 2050 for both of them. So the body is found, it has the same injuries, and it's basically a crime mystery from there with a sci-fi element. In the comic, it's more supernatural in terms of how all those bodies have came to be found all in that one street. But as I said, in the TV show, there's a time travel element. And what they seem to set up was a deterministic style of time travel. I'm no particular expert on time travel. I'm not a physicist, but they seem to be setting up where someone had gone back in time. But the reason why they were able to go back in time is because they had already gone back in time. So it seemed like it was an infinite loop, but the timeline was linear. So anything they went back to do had already happened and it was predetermined, deterministic and determined to happen that way. And spoilers, they may or may not change that a little bit as it gets later on in the episodes, which is fine. Maybe I didn't get it entirely, but it wasn't all for me, maybe. And I have to say, my wife kind of agreed, or she agreed. So if that happens, then there must be something to it. I think sometimes as stories progress, and if people haven't planned far ahead, the uh, consistency can be sacrificed to the storytelling. I suppose with an adaption as well. That's always an issue. It's true, especially when you're changing key aspects of that. Another aspect, which we might discuss in a future episode, is something like The Last of Us, where they changed some key aspects of, for instance, the infectious mechanisms of the zombie pathogen, because some of them simply don't work as well for television storytelling 
whether or not they're equally scientifically accurate. But with respect to bodies and time travel, then, you said that they have a kind of deterministic time travel. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you mean by that and how it might contrast with other approaches to the potential of time travel? I think this is where I need the big blackboard behind me with the back to the future paradoxical timeline splitting to show everyone. No, what I mean when I say deterministic is kind of like what I went to is this one timeline. So you've got time moving forwards. If you move back in time, you move back along that single timeline. And effectively, that's already happened if you move back. If you move forwards, then you kind of skip over time and it's the same timeline. By moving back, you will have effectively have already moved back and there'll be a loop in that way. So it's kind of already happened. And uh, with other timelines, there's many different theories. And it's part of the reason why I really like X-Men is because they play about with this a lot in the comics, especially. But Days of Future Past, the film also did this as well with comics. So you kind of just have to run with it. Obviously, as you know, you can't hold everything to a fine hard sci-fi meter rule for that. Some different timelines, like with Back to the Future, it's kind of if you go back, then you create a new timeline, similar with Loki as well. Another spoiler for some TV that's going on at the moment. There's all these different branching timelines and you could go to a multiversal theory. So instead of going back in time and then that diverging off to a different timeline, you could argue that going to a different time could be just going to a different universe in the multiverse and you're just setting foot in that different version of your own world. So there's lots of different ways and the science behind how that could actually happen, I'm not entirely clued up on. You probably know quite a bit from the Star Trek episodes that you've watched many more of. I don't know. Is it still cool to tell people you watch Star Trek? Has that ship sailed? Starship. Has that starship sailed? Um, but no, in all seriousness, in terms of actual time travel, I know there's a lot of debate about whether or not there could be an actual physical way of doing it in real life. But real-life mathematics does allow the possibility of time travel. Space and time are not absolute. They're relative to one another. And the equations that we already have established for our current understanding of the universe, and I'm phrasing that very carefully because our understanding of the universe changes regularly and things we thought were physical must-haves turn out not to exist or be needed at all. So this may all change in a hundred years or five years or by the time this episode is on the air. But currently, we theoretically could follow curves of space-time in such a way that we could come back to a different time than the one we left. And that would include the past. It's more a matter of practicality now. Will we ever actually be able to do it rather than can we mathematically do it? The other thing, of course, is time dilation, which would be a little bit like your deterministic descriptions. The idea being that time doesn't move at the same speed for everyone, irrespective of where they are or what they're doing. It moves at a speed that is relative to the subject who is experiencing the time. Uh, so if we took a ship out into the universe and came back, a lot of time could go past on Earth in what is a short amount of time for us in our faster-than-light starship. The outcome of this is that you appear to have traveled in time to the future because a you that has aged very little has come many, many years, decades, centuries, millennia into the future. 
So it's a form of forward time travel. Now, as I said, our theoretical physics doesn't currently rule out the possibility of backward time travel, but even more so, we face the difficulty of making it a reality. And as a result, there's still a question of how it would work if it ever became a physical reality. If we did go back into the past and change something, would that always have been changed in our future? Would it split off a new timeline? Is it, as you say, predetermined already to have happened even before we actually go back in time and make it happen? Real science has a lot to say about time travel at the moment, but most of it is from a mathematical perspective rather than from an actual practical perspective, or so they tell us. Yeah, and there's, there's one big one I missed out is the grandfather paradox. If you go back in time and you become your own relative effectively, you could blink yourself out of existence or, you know, you, you mess up something, the butterfly effect happens and you, you can blink yourself out of existence. Like you were saying in terms of the relativity of time, it always makes me think of The Flash. So you've got Wally West, Barry Allen, and they've got their cosmic treadmill, which allows them to go back and forwards in time. But also they perceive time so much differently, at least they must do so much more differently to how uh, the people around them are. You know, conversations, depending on how their mental state is, must seem like years, which is an interesting concept in itself. I suppose with things like super accelerated existences, and that could be super speed like The Flash, or it could be people whose lives just run on different timelines, uh, you know, Benjamin Button style. But I suppose that depends on subjective experience in the sense that does The Flash, for instance, always experience time going past much faster than anyone else in the room? Or is it only when he's actually running, when he's actually engaging super speed? So is he just really, really good at hiding his boredom in conversations? Or is he not bored unless he's chatting while he runs? I mean, they definitely use it for comedic effect when they want to, that he's getting bored because everything's too slow for him, obviously. I won't lie. If I were the Flash and I were getting bored, I would claim that it was because everything was moving too slow for me as well. It's a built-in excuse. Definitely. I think that he can effectively perceive time as, as he wishes, depending on what he's doing. It's a bit like if we were falling... We have that moment where everything seems to stop in time. I think that the Flash can do that as well as a part of his powers. To take a practical scientific view of it, it's not possible for the Flash to have body parts that move at different speeds relative to one another. Otherwise, you'd have him across the room and his spleen left behind, which would be disastrous for all concerned. That means that if one part of his body is moving at super speed, we'd assume that all parts of his body were moving at super speed. So I suppose if, for instance, he's twiddling his pinky finger particularly quickly, the rest of him must be operating at the same speed even if he's standing still. So if it makes sense, he's going a million miles an hour while being motionless. So his metabolism is going a million miles an hour. He's standing, but time is moving past him in a way that he perceives as much quicker than the other people in the room. So I suppose if he weren't such a fidget, maybe this wouldn't be a problem. I really like those flash stories when uh, they delve into, oh, I mean, they use the speed force as this kind of um, sonic screwdriver fix it device where this can all happen because 
you know, as, as you're saying, all of his body's moving at that pace. Is it just one body part? Is it, you know, his legs, his feet? No, it's speed force lets that happen. So, you know, it is the kind of fix all for that. I like the stories where they take that away. And actually, there is a story where I think in the 90s, uh, Wally West's kid doesn't have the speed force part of the super speed. So if he uses the super speed, then his body effectively could get torn apart. You know, first degree burns, it works. And well, that's quite morbid. It's a really interesting story and a good look at it, you know, and I think he does use it to save a kid from getting hit by a car. And that's basically the last thing he does. But there's a time travel element in that as well. And he becomes, uh, you know, he is saved from that. It's really interesting. I think it's also interesting to think about how little you consider how time affects you on a physical level. So, for instance, I know you mentioned burns from moving at super speed and things like that. But if you're moving at a different time relative to the rest of the world, your digestion relies on time. Your vision relies on time, you know, time for light to hit the appropriate parts of your eye, time for neural signals to process. So it's interesting to think about how that would be affected by super speed, which is slightly getting off track, but technically related. So perfectly happy to go on a mental wander with you, Jeff. But also, it's interesting to think about how these things would be affected by time travel. If you travel five seconds into the future, have you slowed your digestion down by five seconds? Or have you sped it up by five seconds? That's a difficult one. <laughs> I have no idea about that. With the Flash stories, you'll get a story every now and then which adds to the science law of the character. And they play around with the sound and hearing as well. And what I like on top of that is um, if you stop time, how could you actually see anything if nothing's moving? Uh, if light isn't moving, then how exactly are you able to have anything come off your retina and actually be able to see things? In terms of metabolism and digestion, like you say, a lot of the stories have his metabolism super high and he has to eat a lot, which makes perfect sense. In terms of actually things traveling around his digestive system, I'm guessing that the idea is everything is moving super fast within the speed force because the speed force is the fix all for all of it. Characters like Quicksilver in the X-Men, he has some mutant power and doesn't have the speed force to fall back on. I'm sure that creative minds come up with reasons why digestion and such are fine in that case, but um, there's holes in everything. Some things I'm willing to accept, some things I'm not, but that's life. Although I have actually consulted for X-Men, I have to admit that Quicksilver wasn't on the radar. We mostly talked about how the X-Gene might work in real life, and spoiler, it just wouldn't. But we also talked about things like how Wolverine's healing powers might work and things like that. I suspect part of the reason that we avoided Quicksilver specifically is because we know so little and it's so difficult to explain, especially if you can't hand wave away some of it with what is essentially magic. Speed Force isn't necessarily magic. You know, we could make arguments about creating personal force fields and things like that. But because we don't have an explanation... It is a bit of a plot tactic rather than an explanation. For someone like Quicksilver, who doesn't have any of those protections, then you'd have to look at different things like limitations on speed, physical limitations placed on the maximum speed that was achievable, and then debate whether or not the individual achievements are actually possible with the level of speed that Quicksilver would be quote-unquote allowed. 
there are some things that can be accomplished by moving at 100 or 1,000 miles an hour and some things that would be impossible. And then what is the physical limit on that speed? That's an interesting one. How fast could Quicksilver move with no actual protection? And when we say no protection, what do we mean? Are his organs shielded in some way we don't know about physically? Is their composition somehow denser or more durable? We know none of that. And would someone with super speed make a better candidate for time travel than someone with our soft, squashy human bodies? Well, with that subject in terms of terminal velocity and making things go faster, you're kind of bridging into my other enjoyment, which is cycling. Quicksilver may be extremely aerodynamic. I don't know. I know there's one cyclist who in a speed test in or a wind tunnel test, it seemed like his skin was very aerodynamic. <laughs> so maybe Quicksilver has very aerodynamic skin. Um, obviously, when it's portrayed on the page and stuff, it doesn't really work out that way. What a strange thing to think about, having aerodynamic skin. And of course, that is how a lot of it works. Organisms that live in the water, for instance, such as fish, and particularly animals like sharks, have very hydrodynamic skin designed to allow water to flow off them, which allows them to swim faster through the water and also to create less of a disturbance in the water. That contributes to speed, but also contributes to other things like not being detected by potential predators. And humans are quite likely to have more and less aerodynamic versions of our skin. It's just such minimal variation that we don't really think about it. We have replicated it artificially. You can buy aerodynamic and hydrodynamic fabrics. And if you look it up, you'll see that actually a number of synthetic fabrics are banned in high-level competitive swimming because they make swimmers too fast. So there's an argument that something like Quicksilver's X-gene mutation could contribute to that. And it's really interesting to think about because it might make you faster, but also are there aspects of whatever makes you faster that could act as protective elements, for instance, in time travel? If you're moving through years at a very fast pace, how does that affect you physically and is that effect something that could be alleviated by having these types of protective forces? I know a lot of science fiction and related media handles this by doing things like putting people into stasis or at the very least ensuring that they're unconscious so they're not actually experiencing the passage of time. In Stephen King's The Jaunt, for instance, the story revolves around what might happen to someone who remained conscious during teleportation or jaunting which is actually revealed to have an element of time travel within the story. And I won't give any spoilers there, but it is interesting to think about how we might actually experience time travel from a first person's perspective and what effect that might have on both our physical bodies and on our minds. I was thinking, you know, obviously Flash has got cosmic treadmill. I won't just go on about the Flash all the time. Maybe he needed a cosmic bike or cosmic drag race car or something like that, you know, to really maximize the aerodynamic potential of his vehicle or treadmill, whatever. Obviously, the treadmill was a nice golden age style device for time travel. I can't imagine without the assistance of superpowers, those kind of things would really, really affect someone's mentality. And I know in Judge Dredd, they have, I think they call them footsies, which is, I think, future people, people who've been cryogenically frozen and they've ended up being reanimated in the 2100s. 
and they all really struggle with their mental health because of the big culture shock and everything like that. Obviously, that's not the physical act of time travel, which is causing the effect. But I can imagine both traveling, especially future in time and not knowing what you're going to end up with, or even traveling back, the physical exertion of it would be extremely taxing. Yeah. And of course, that's not something we can know until someone attempts to experience it. But it's not difficult to imagine that our mental health, which, to be honest, in humans isn't the most stable to begin with, could be severely affected if we actually had the first person experience of time travel. And of course, there are plenty of narratives that talk about time fugitives and time refugees and people who've been inadvertently frozen and revived or reincarnated or reanimated in various ways and the adjustment period that was involved. And I think often these stories don't consider just how involved that adaptive process would be. For instance, you'd like to think that if you time traveled back 200 or 500 years, you might have some difficulty adapting, but in the end, you'll find yourself a nice pig farmer and settle down, that kind of thing. But I don't think we realize just how fast determinants of our place in time move on. So things like societal mores and technology and things like that. I think people often don't contemplate how quickly these things move on. Our language changes, you know, almost on a daily basis. Our customs, our laws, the things that we do and don't approve of change very frequently things like religion, things like language. If you went back 500 years, would you be able to communicate with the people around you? Probably less than you might think. So there'd be a significant adjustment period. And that's an argument for time travel regulation, or at the very least, time travel training. Will you know what to expect when you go backwards or forwards? And although, of course, we can't know this from our position here in the 21st century, but we know that the evolutions of things like society and technology have been accelerating for several centuries at least. So how much more will they accelerate? The difference between going 100 years back and going 100 years forward might be massive because of how fast we're moving. There is the counterargument that at some point it's possible we may need to plateau. And it's even possible that we may be approaching that plateau point now. So maybe it wouldn't be different. But as I've said, of course, we can't know this now. But it is worth thinking about what kind of preparation, training, and regulation time travel might involve if it became something that was more broadly accessible. Yeah, I think that if time travel does become a thing, then chrononauts are going to take over from astronauts. And, you know, we'll have to train in that sense as well. The mention of regulation brings up another point, which is what effect might time travel have on the world around us? And I don't mean in terms of things like societal evolution, which of course it would affect massively, but I mean the literal physical effect. If person A is time traveling, what does person B experience? Does person A just blink out of existence from their perception? When you time travel away from somewhere, does air rush in to fill the gap that you've left? What happens if you time travel away and then back to the exact same moment in time? If you travel back 100 years, do you have to displace something else? Yeah, it's interesting. You think about um, basic, what we 
think we know laws of the universe um matter energy you know is never lost exactly it's just dispersed into different um forms but in terms of the world around us i think if time travel is a real thing that is happening now or even happens at any point in the future um it must be very well regulated because we don't just have a bunch of time travelers coming around and you know popping up everywhere we if if um time travelers were coming back and being very loud about it we'd probably know um unless there's a very good cover-up operation x-files style in fairness we don't have time travelers popping up that you know of but it may not necessarily be because of good regulation it could be because as you said earlier time traveling back does literally change the timeline or the specific section of the multiverse where we are so it could be that once someone has come back things were always the way they are post-travel and we've never known any different so what would there be to signal the fact that someone had time traveled it's possible i suppose and this is straying away from science and very much into fiction but it's entirely possible that in your deterministic style of time travel once you time traveled back you'd always been there and you didn't know you'd traveled back so of course you have nothing to be loud about because you're not aware of it i think what we need to admit here is that neither of us is a physicist we're both experts in biological and medical sciences and as a result we definitely need to invite a theoretical physicist onto the show with us to talk with more expertise about time travel yeah definitely i mean um it's an interesting concept but it is one of those things that the actual science behind it is difficult speaking of time travel and its effect on the world around us i can't help but notice it's gotten quite late so we may need to wrap up for this episode i guess you could say it's time to wrap up <laughs> i'll forgive you for that jeff but i'm not sure the listeners will either way we hope you enjoyed our rambling discussion on time travel super speed and more and we'll look forward to seeing you next week Set Phasers to Stun is hosted by Mick Schubert with music by Sam Watts. You can find Mick at MickSchubert.com and Sam at SamWatts.com. And you can find Set Phasers to Stun on every major podcast platform, as well as at SetPhasersToStun.substack.com.